this morning. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. The sixth chapter, and we'll we'll begin with verse 14. And as you do that, let me just say, especially for our visitors, this is a continuation of our theme series for this year in 2012. It's, it's not about me. Can you say that? It's not about me. It's not about me. And come on, say it like you mean it. You think it's about you today because you here, want to be entertained, want to become. It's not about me. You know, deep down, we, we would like to believe it's about us, deep down. That's why we get so frustrated at people in situations and circumstances, because deep, deep, deep down, we think it's about me and not about him. If it's truly about God, then we won't need to be frustrated because we know that he got it in his hands. So deep down, we need the spirit of God to begin prying up those old planks of wood, prying up those old sins. That old sin nature that he may take over completely. However, this life is about God. It's about his goodness. It's about his glory. It's about his renown. It's about him being preeminent and showing himself to be wonderful and marvelous to all the nations. It's not about me. It's about him. Stand with me as we read this morning's text. Now, don't put your Bibles up because we're going to be skipping around to a lot of passages as we unfold what God is doing here through the Apostle Paul. But 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 14. And the precious word of God reads, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let us pray as we meditate upon this morning's sermon title. It's not about me. It's about God's glory in my body. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come now begging that you will pour out your spirit upon us, that you will break loose and allow your spirit to do a marvelous and wonderful work in our hearts this morning, O oh God. Father, we ask that you will come as power, that you will reign in our lusts, reign in our sinful desires. Father, we ask that you will come as a teacher, that you would teach us your ways and your statutes. Lord, we ask you to come as love, that we may behold your glory and fall deeply in love with you this morning. Father, we ask you to come as joy. May we have a joy that 
that is overflowing from the abundance that you pour out in us, O God. Father, come as light and illuminate these scriptures to our mind that we may see just how beautiful you are, how sinful we were, and how precious Christ Jesus is. Father, come as sanctifier and and clean us from the inside out. May we not worry about putting makeup on the outside, but you will clean us from the inside out that we may be changed, dear God. Father, we ask that you will come as helper. Help us today, for we need you as we look at your word. We need you to pour forth wisdom and understanding. Father, we ask you to come as beautifier. May you bring order to chaos and confusion. May you bring, uh, may you bring order to those situations and circumstances that are just mind-boggling and, and, and crazy, oh God. We ask you to come and have your way. May your word bring transformation. May your word bring change. In the precious name of Jesus, we do pray this morning. Amen. Amen. God's greatest concern has always, always been about his glory and the right worship of him. He has always been concerned about being esteemed, being glorified, and in the cosmos, not not just here on earth, in the cosmos. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and set forth this this temple in the garden, and from the garden, his, his viceroys, his his image bearers would be fruitful and multiply. They would cover the face of the earth, have dominion and reign in God's steed. They, they were representatives of God on earth, and they would go forth that his glory may be shown. He's always been concerned about that, and his creatures that he created, that's what he desires for us to do. To lift God up, to adore him, to cherish him, to love him, to honor him. However, in Genesis 3, we see a act of rebellion where man, instead of wanting to give glory to God, begins to desire glory for himself. Thus, sin enters in, and that relationship, that, that pure relationship between God and man has now been broken. However, from Genesis 3 on, God has been reconciling the world back to himself through Jesus Christ. And it is by this reconciliation that the followers and believers of Christ, those who, who have made a profession of faith, who the Spirit of God dwells within. Now we desire to to restore what once was God's image, his glory, his his renown being made known. He impresses that upon believers' heart. We seek to extend the glory of God and to rightly worship him. And this is the Apostles Paul's message to the Corinthians the, the questions for the church in, in Corinth is the same question that is being asked of us today. Well, how? 
How are Christians to glorify God and rightly worship him? This is where we find ourselves in the text this morning. See, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians were letters the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He, he wrote a total of four letters. We have two. But in these letters, he is rebuking and correcting. He, he's on their head. He's on their head because of, of the sinfulness and the wickedness taking place. Corinth was a wicked, wicked city. So, I mean, so wicked, in fact, that their name had become synonymous with sinful indulgence. Pastor John MacArthur puts it this way. He describes it as uh, to Corinthianize came to represent gross immorality and drunken debauchery. Giving further example of this, he says one of the most prominent buildings of Corinth was a temple to Aphrodite. The Greek goddess of love. Some 1,000 priestesses who were religious prostitutes lived and worked there and came down into the city in the evenings to offer their services to male citizens and foreign visitors. See, this this was a, a religious practice. Imagine coming to church and and sexual immorality just taking place everywhere. This was their religion, their worship. This society was pagan, not having any honor for God, but they would worship any, anything and everything to satisfy themselves, to satisfy their, their lust and their desires. Not only that, but pagan, pagan worship was like in the fabric of who they were. It was part of their, their government. It was part of their, uh, their, their clubs and their holidays. Everything that they knew in Corinth was pagan. It was anti-God. See, but when God steps in, he has a plan. And in the 18th chapter of Acts, God tells Paul that do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. Proving that God can save even the most ardent of sinners. And, and, and some were saved. And that's where this church comes from. Out of this, this, this pagan culture, God steps in, stakes his kingdom flag, and begins to, to take over in the midst of enemy territory. See, God doesn't need a front door to come in and change the situation. He plants his flag from the inside and begins to spread out and change things. But this church is full of former pagans. And they were having a hard time in, in making a clean break from the culture that they had been immersed in all their lives. They were finding it hard to live that, and casting off that, that old man and to bring honor to God. Does any of this sound familiar? See, the particular issue here in, 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 in Corinthians is the fact that those from outside of the church were coming into the church and, and mixing up with the, with the church folks and causing, causing them to stumble in, 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 in sinful ways. In 1 Corinthians, wicked situations, 
sons sleeping with mothers and, and husbands and wives. It's, it's adultery and, and sin is running rampant in the midst of this church because what they had done was they had taken a, a little bit of Christ, a little bit of Aphrodite, a little bit of this God, a little bit of that God, and they begin to combine into this syncretistic religion where it was their own thing now. It wasn't the word of God. It was their own religion. Uh, I I like this from over here, and I I like this from over there, and I I like this tradition, and they begin to form their own religion, and that was causing serious effects on the body of Christ. Paul's desire here is that the people will see God for who he, he really was, to praise him, exalt him, honor him, Above all else. And it's interesting what he does here. Because he communicates, he begins to communicate this by, by reminding them that they were now temples of the living God. They were now set apart. They were now something special. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verses 19 and 20. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Again, the Corinthians were caught up in all kinds of sexual immorality, joining themselves with these very temple prostitutes, those prostitutes that came down. They were still religiously sleeping with the prostitutes. Religiously. So he is telling them, no, 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 no. That, That is not how we go about it. Because why? Why? What's the big deal? What's the change? What should take place? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. It's not about me. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Corinthians were now houses of worship for God. They were his temples to adore, to worship him. The Gentiles would be familiar with this temple imagery. The Jews would be knowledgeable as well. Because the Gentiles knew that worship was to take place in the temple. They, it was a sinful temple. They just knew something. You're supposed to worship when you go to the temple. But then the Jews also knew that the temple was the dwelling place of God himself. So Paul does a a, 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 a both and. He says, Christians, now being the temple of God, you are to both be a venue for worship and a dwelling place of God. Christians in in the city of Corinth were to become holy vessels of honor for God to use. And with any temple, consecration needs to take place. A setting apart for God's use. But but the only way for that to occur would be for the Corinthians to separate themselves from this sinful, sinful city. For without separation from sin, there could be no holiness. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? 
What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? This is Paul's, his call for the people to be holy. Because they were temples. And, and, and to be holy means to be set apart for the Lord's purposes. Some were coming up against Paul. Some were saying, ah, oh, he's not really an apostle. Ah, oh, he's not. Look, just look at him. Does he look like he knows something? And they were coming up against him in, in their own sinful desires to have, have their own little church thing going, that to have their own, their own little kingdom going. These are the type of people that Paul is talking about here. These, these unbelieving religious people who desire to sway the minds of the Corinthians. Paul urges believers not to form binding relationships with non-believers because this would weaken their Christian commitment, integrity, and their standards. See, if, if, if these living Corinthian temples were to be wholly a, a severing of allegiance to their sinful culture, people and places needed to take place. See, not, not from the perspective of being an isolationist. There, there's extremes. You can go to an extreme where, uh, well, I'm just going to sit in my house and I'm just going to have my Bible open and, and I'm just going to sit here and pray all day. I'm not going to talk to nobody. I don't, I don't want to see nobody. I don't, yeah, you, 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 not an isolationist. But then on the other end, well, hey, Jesus went when the sinners were, so I'm going to go there too. Oh, yeah, I, I, rounds on me because I need to relate. Extremes. Now, that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about that religious cooperation, those, those sinful alliances where situations would divide your loyalties. You come to a situation and you have to choose, okay, do I serve God or do I serve man? Do I, do I serve the most high or do I continue to serve man? And he alludes here to Deuteronomy, the 22nd chapter in verse 10, where, where God is telling Israel not to yoke an ox and a donkey together to plow a field. He uses that illustration to, to illustrate, illustrate this unequal alliance. See, the problem was, one, you had this ceremonially clean animal in the ox and this unceremonially clean animal in the donkey. And, if, and, and, and the yoke was like that bridle you were, you were put on their backs and then you, you would plow a field. But you have two vastly different animals. You have one big, burly, and strong. It, it has a, a, a way that it walks. And then you have the donkey, a uh, smaller, a little bit more frail, and it has a way that it walks. And if you join those two animals together for a common task of like plowing a field, you would never get a straight line. You would never get a straight line because they're so different. That you will always get a crooked line. You always get off track. You would always go the wrong way. You would never accomplish what you're trying to do. This ox and this donkey, illustrations of mixing this, this, this alliance, my, my homies, 
my crew and their affections with the affections of God. It's been said that those who harness themselves together with unbelievers will soon find themselves plowing Satan's fields. Believers yoked together with unbelievers will be entering into the task of kingdom destruction. See, we, we play this game. They were playing this game in their head, the Corinthians. Where they could align themselves with whomever they wanted. And still come and worship. Not realizing there's only two kingdoms out there. There's the kingdom of God. Then there's the kingdom of Satan. And if you are not moving towards, moving for, and aligning yourself under the kingdom of God, then you are anti-kingdom of God because the kingdom of Satan is at war with the kingdom of God. There's a, a war going on before their eyes. What happens in the physical is just a manifestation of what's going on in the spiritual. If you, if you see chaos, when they, when they saw the sin, when they saw the wickedness, that was just a manifestation of, of Satan warring against God. And when they yoked themselves up with unbelievers, they were becoming traitors to the kingdom of God and attacking the very one who rescued them. Paul is calling for a clean break from the influences of those who remained in rebellion to God. And I like what Paul does because he goes on to make use of five rhetorical questions to emphasize the gravity of the situation. He goes on to ask the question, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? How how does that even mix? And, And there he's talking about a separation of behavior. Right living. Book wild living. It don't mix. You can't, you can't have them in the same house. What fellowship has light with darkness? A separation of character. That light shining. Because if it could be pitch black in this place, and all I would need is a flashlight to get around. Because where there's light, darkness cannot dwell. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. What accord has Christ with Belial? That's another word for Satan. Christ and Satan, that doesn't mix. They could try to mix them if they wanted to, but Satan knows he can't mix with God. A separation of masters. Who's your master? Who, Who... Who were they yoked to? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? A separation of citizenship. Again, the kingdom idea, the kingdom focus. What did did their passport have stamped on it? Resident of the kingdom of the most high God. Or resident of the slovenly Satan who will be conquered at the end. What citizenship will they have? Then lastly, he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? A separation of worship. God was very particular about worship in the temple. And he's very particular about worship in this church. Paul is is letting them know that you're not in just any old alliance. You are in 
a, a holy alliance with God. And because so, live as such. He's, Paul's talking about your sphere, your, your, that sphere of influence. Those people that you hold most dear and close to you. Those ideas that you hold most dear and close to you. He's talking about those people because those are the people that have the most influence over your heart, over your mind, over your, your motives and over your actions. The Lord knows I was I was on I was on a spiritual roller coaster doing doing college. I I'd be up, now I be down. Now I go back up and I'll go back down. I spin around, go backwards, and then come back up. And as I look back over my life, every time I found myself going up is when I was by myself just serving the Lord. And every time I found myself doing corkscrews, my boys had came back in time. Every time I, I was going backwards, some, some girls started coming around. And every time I found myself going deep down in the valley, somebody close. I'm not blaming them. But what Paul is talking about, that influence that, that those people have over your heart. And, and, and not, to, not to cling to those relationships because you can't make them holy, but they can make you unholy. In Habakkuk, the, the second chapter, God is talking to the priest and saying, well, is what you got in your hand holy? Like, yeah, okay. Now, if you touch it with, 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 with something, will it become unholy? Yeah, it'll become unholy. Now, look at this thing over here. It's unholy, right? Yeah, it's unholy. Now, now touch it with the holy thing. It doesn't become holy. No. The holy thing becomes unholy now. Corinthians. Corinthians. You can't have the mindset that you will change them for Jesus. There needs to be a, a separation before you can even change them. See, it was a big deal for Corinthian Christians to be cooperating so closely with the spiritually wicked. Those in Christ are, and those who are not in Christ are diametrically opposed, spiritual opposites. What in common can there be? Absolutely nothing. And for the Christians in Corinth, they will be the ones making the compromise. They're the one compromising God's standard. Man's standard is here. God's standard is here. So they, they, they will have to lower their standards in order to be on the same page as man. So before they could have an, any type of impact on their culture, before they could bring glory to God, before right worship could take place, God's people are to separate from the nations and their idolatry. There needed to be a noticeable difference in who they were in comparison to who they used to be. Turn with me to Exodus, the 19th chapter. Exodus, the 19th chapter, beginning with verse 5. 
God speaking. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now turn in the New Testament to first Peter. The second chapter. First Peter, the second chapter, beginning with verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God has been calling a people to himself for a special purpose to be his priests that that the other nations would see his glory made manifest in their lives and that and. That cannot take place until the people of God here in Corinth would separate themselves so that the other people would see it's like, what's wrong with them? Why, why they ain't at the sacrifices at the temple? Why the prostitutes don't go over their house? Why, what's so different? A difference needed to be seen in order that they may minister to that wicked city. Oh, Corinthians. Begin to glorify God in your body through separation from sin. For without separation, there can be no holiness. Whereas separation and consecration was necessary in in the preparation of the temple of God, his presence was essential to his power and purpose. The temple was to be filled with the spirit of God. Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate to them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, thing, then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Paul is using this imagery of the temple. Knowing that the temple was that place, the very place where God would dwell amongst his people. The temple was the 
that point where people will come to see God, come to hear from God, come to pray to God. And he points back to Leviticus 26, where God is saying, if, if you will be obedient, you're my people, if you will be obedient, I will make my dwelling among you. I will, I will be there. You won't be without me. And I will be there, God. They won't just shout out to an empty space, but I will be there. Verse 17. He begins to point back to Isaiah 52, where, where, where the salvation of God is coming and God is bringing them back into the land. And he says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to the land. Don't touch their ways. Stay separate. Be holy. Don't make yourself unclean. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me. I, I, will, I will not just be a demanding God. I will not just be someone far off. I, I will hold you close to my bosom. I will whisper sweet nothings in your ear. I will tell you that you are the apple of my eye and that I have set my affections upon you. I will nurse you like a, a, like a child. I will protect you and, and keep you. Paul is pointing back. And he's pointing back because those very things have occurred now in the temple. This new temple. This temple that's not made with human hands. This, this temple that is inside where, where, where God is residing with us. We don't have to go to the temple no longer. The temple is right here within us. We're filled with his presence. We're filled with his joy. That's why we can cry out, Abba, Father. He's close. Paul continues to appeal to the Corinthian church to glorify God and, and to rightly worship him by reminding them just who they were now. They were no longer objects of wrath. But, but quite the contrary. They, they now possess an immeasurable value, an infinite worth. Valuable not because of who they were. Precious not because of what they possessed. Treasure not because of what they did. Significant because they have become the very dwelling place of the living God. That's true worth. That's true worth. In a society like Corinth, it, so easily people could get caught up in that search for significance. Why am I here? What is my valuable? What am I worth? It would have been easy to, to go out and join yourself with the, the, the priestesses and join yourself in sin and get a false sense of identity, a false sense of value, a false sense of worth. Because of where they went and who they knew. 
Not so with God. Because when the spirit dwells within you, that's the greatest treasure that there could ever be. When God lives within you, your value doubles and quadruples and it increases. Not because of you, but because of him and who he is. Paul was reaching back and showing us the temple is now here. This is now. This is not fulfilled in buildings made with human hands. This is fulfilled by God living inside of the Corinthians through their union with Christ. Turn with me to 1 Kings. The 8th chapter. First Kings, the eighth, eighth chapter, beginning with verse 10. Solomon has just built the temple. The ark is coming in. And it says, and when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Filling this temple so that it may worship and adore him. Now turn to Ephesians. Ephesians, the second chapter. Eighteen, beginning with verse 18. For through him, this is Christ. We both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. God no longer dwelling with his people in a sanctuary which they made for him, but him dwelling in their lives. See, but the purposes of God doesn't stop there. It was, it, it was not enough just to get in. It, it was not just enough to get on the rolls of the Corinthian church. No, they would now become the point from where God would disseminate his glory amongst the nations. The temple was the point of origin where God's glory would emanate from. That's what's happening in Eden. The Garden of Eden. Eden being the temple, that, that special place, and Adam and Eve would have worked it and spread it, and this garden would have spread and went out because they were working it. Their children would begin to work it. Their children's children would begin to work it, and the face of uh, the earth will be covered with the glory of God. The tabernacle, 
The children of Israel were to be priests to the other nations. God would dwell in the tabernacle and from the children of Israel, the nations will begin to know about God's renown and begin to glorify him. The same in the temple, the, from the holy of holies and, 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 the prince, and the priests, the sacrifices, God's name was being made known in the region, in the whole area. That is God's purposes for us, this new temple. That wherever I walk, the glory of God is with me. Wherever I talk, the renown of God is being made manifest. Wherever I look, the goodness of God is being brought. Their bodies would now be those vessels of honor. They would be separate. They would see the glory of God working through them and Impacting this wicked city. Impacting. Bringing change. One, one soul at a time. One life at a time. As God was emanating from them. Those they came in contact with the, the street vendors and the, and, and, and the prostitutes and the, and, and, and the thugs and the, and the low lives. And the, and the has-beens and the, the, the want-nots, the, the, the scum of the earth, as, as they would come in contact with them, the glory of God would, would touch their lives. And his glory would be spread from these new temples. It would not be about them at all, but God being glorified through their bodies because the Spirit lived in them. God will be glorified in their bodies through separation from sin and preparation for this holy consecration. And, and as God fills the Corinthians with his spirit, his glory will be made manifest as it disseminated from their bodies towards the nations. But, but lastly, Paul wanted the church in Corinth to know that God can only be glorified when continual purification was taking place. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Since we have these promises, I will dwell with them. I will be their God. They should be my people, their sons and, and daughters. Because of what he has done, let us cleanse ourselves, purify and temple talk. Before you went into the temple, you would purify yourselves through the washing, using water. Cleansing yourself from defilement, body and spirit, your whole being, not just a part of you. Bringing holiness to completion and the fear of God according to God's standard, God's, God's measurements. What's, what, what is going on? What, Paul, you were just talking about not being yoked together. Now you're talking about let us cleanse ourselves. Okay. The Old Testament temple of God would have been a place where constant animal sacrifices were being taken place. 
over and over again. The priests would slay the animals and their blood would be poured out and they would be offered up as a way of, of uh, atoning and, and covering their sins and over and over, day after day, night after night, animal after animal, lamb after lamb, over and over and over again. Paul, are, are you calling the Corinthians back to animal sacrifices? Are, are you calling the Corinthians back to how things used to be? No. I'm calling them to something new. He's calling them to be cleansed by a sacrifice that doesn't just cover sin, but by the preeminent sacrifice that takes away their sin. Turn with me to Hebrews. The ninth chapter. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ, whom through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool, footstool for his enemies for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wow. Wow. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Just look, look at it. Look at it. Can, can you see him? Can you see him carrying that old wooden cross up the Via Della Rosa? Can you see his bruised and beaten flesh? Can you see his nail-scarred hands and nail-scarred feet? Can, can you see the blood streaming from his side? Can you see Jesus right here in this text? Without even saying the word grace. Paul just preaches an eternal message of grace in just one sentence to the Corinthians. He preaches a message not of what they could do to be pleasing to God. He preaches a message about what God has done for them in order that they may be saved. Since we have these promises, beloved, for all the promises of God and Jesus are yes and amen. 
I will crush Satan, yes, in Jesus Christ. I will make a nation of people for ourselves, yes, in Jesus Christ. I will bring them to a new land and give them, give them land and give them homes that they did not even build, yes, in Jesus Christ. I will make a way out of no way for people, yes, in Jesus Christ. I will feed them when there's no food in front of them, yes, in Jesus Christ. I will, I will take their sins upon myself that they won't have to bear them. Yes, in Jesus Christ. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, in Jesus Christ. I, where, where I go, there you will be also. Yes, in Jesus Christ. There's no weapon that is formed against me that shall prosper. Yes, in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the Corinthians now had the grace to stand up against their sin. You can't stand up to sin on your own. You need the grace of God. Paul, Paul wasn't a fool. Paul knew where they lived. He knew where they had come from. Just as Israel had fallen short, Surely the Corinthians would as well. Paul knew only Christ was perfect. We say that, don't we? No, only Jesus was perfect. We, we say that. Make ourselves feel better. But you know what? That's the point. That's the very point that Paul is saying to this church. It is through their union with the perfect Messiah, they have forgiveness and cleansing from sin. And because that cleansing was there, they were to go continually to the throne of God with continual repentance from sin, continual turning towards Jesus. Not, not just for salvation, but as a, a cleansing, a purifying, a relationship builder with God. Keep cleansing yourselves. Don't stop. The only way holiness would be brought to completion in the lives of the Corinthians was through the sinless shed blood of Jesus Christ. They were to wash in the blood of the lamb, crying out, Jesus, wash me. Jesus, wash me. Clean me. I like how John the Baptist said that. He baptized with water, but there is one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In John 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, you ain't going to wash me, Jesus. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't have no part of me. Well, wash all of me. Then Jesus said, no, Peter, once you've been washed, I only need to clean you up just a little bit. In Ephesians, this is when, Peter, when Paul is talking about that, that, that marriage union and comparing it to Christ. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Titus. Paul says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's like, look at the text, and it's like, just take, just, just take a sponge bath in the blood of Jesus. And just, just wash yourself. Like, Lord, I've been so dirty. Just, and just wash yourself. Lord, I need you to clean me up. Just, just wash yourself up in the blood of Jesus. Like, Lord, I, 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 I've been to these places and I, I've seen these things. But I know once I wash in the blood of the Lamb, I will be made clean. The Corinthians would glorify God in their bodies through their continual repentance from sin and forgiveness from God. Oh, Corinthians, turn from immoral self-indulgence, self-worship, self-exhortation, and worship God in your bodies. Be separate from sinful worship. Be filled with the Spirit of God that you may radiate with his glory. Be continually washing in the blood of Jesus through repentance and the casting off of sin. What can we Forest Baptist Church. Learn from this message to the Corinthian church. We learn the same thing Paul intended for the Corinthians to learn. Glorify God in our bodies because we are the temples of God and should function as temples of God. We are to be set, we are to separate ourselves from unity with sin. I'm sure in in, in Corinth there's every desire could have been fulfilled. Every want of sin was there. Everything was there. But in the text, he doesn't give a list. He doesn't tell you what, what not. But I believe, I won't tell you what or what not. But I believe if we hold Philippians 4 and 8 over a circumstance... Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, any excellence, if we just did that, I'm not telling you who to date, I'm not telling you what to watch, I'm not telling you where to go, or what you should do. All I want you to do is hold up the word of God to the situation and say, is this true? Is this honorable? Is this just? Is this lovely? Is this pure? Is this commendable? Is there anything excellent about this situation? If so, I may take part. If not, I got to go because God has called me to be a temple of the living God. That's us, Forrest. That's us. Let's not cherry pick off of each other's sin tree and point out things. Let's hold up the word of God and say, okay, what does the word of God say about that? And begin to examine ourselves through the word of God. We are to be filled with the spirit of God. Whose spirit is dwelling within you? Because if it ain't the Holy Spirit, it's a demonic spirit. Because God got his angels, but Satan got his too. 
And those same three, four people keep coming around and getting you in trouble. They may just be demons on earth because they're drawing you away. Away from the things of God. You say, yeah, I'm going to go to church. Oh, you don't need church. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. Oh, you married to the same woman all those years. And, and they're trying to draw you away from God. Will we be a people who is consciously concerned about God being worshipped? On a, on a regular basis, will, will we be concerned about the worship of God in Petersburg and Newburgh? Will we be concerned that God is being worshipped here? When people come in contact with our lives, whose glory will they see? Will they see us boasting about what we did, what job we got, how much money we got, what home we got? Or will they come seeing us boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ? I am nothing, but he is everything. We are to be continually repenting from sin, turning from sin, repenting and trusting in Jesus. That's just the beginning of the sanctification process. That's, that is ongoing. That is ongoing that, that takes place in our lives. Will, will we extend the same grace to others that has been extended to us through Jesus Christ? Will we examine ourselves honestly before the word of God and be broken by sin in this community? Will our lives be a reflection of worship? For us, here we are today. As we stand before God, when was the last time we repented for anything? When the last time we've been actually broken by our sin? I'm like, man, why did I do that? Why did I say, not, not man, how did I get caught? No, no, man, why, why did I do that? When was the last time we, we got on, we, when last time we got down on our knees and said, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and I've done this and I've done that, but I need you and your blood to wash me. It's time for holiness to reign in our hearts and to be living sacrifices for God. We live in a modern day Corinth. Have we been living holy and acceptable lives before God? Someone today needs to turn from his or her idolatry. Someone needs to come out from among them and be separate. Somebody needs to come out from sexual immorality, to come out from addiction, to come out from the cares of this world, to come out from some certain people. Come out because we have been set free by the grace found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of Jesus today, for there is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. Saved, saved. We hear that word. Yeah, yeah, I'm saved. Saved. Well, saved from what? The Bible tells us that once, once you repent of your sin and, and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, that you're saved right there from the penalty of sin. 
for the wages of sin is death. You, you will be cast off from Christ. Cast off from heaven. That's the penalty. But then also when the spirit fills you up and that grace of God comes, you are now saved from the power of sin in your life. You can say no. Before you couldn't say no because you were a slave to sin. Now God has set you free, brought you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Now I can say no to sin. I can say no to disobedience. I can say no to pride. I can say no to all these sinful things. But then ultimately, Christians, you are saved from the presence of sin. Because there's going to be one day when we get over and we see his face. Because the scripture tells us in God there is light. There is no darkness in him. We will see a pure heaven and earth. We will see no sickness, no disease, no suffering, no hardship, no problems, no issues. Because we will be saved from the presence of sin. He is calling a weak and broken people to himself that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not about me. It's about God's glory in my body. Father, we come now so grateful. So grateful that you have freed us to live for you. We're so grateful that our bodies doesn't have to be broken. We don't have to be crushed for iniquity. We don't have to be the, the subject of your divine wrath. We're so thankful for Jesus Christ. For through him, we have salvation. Father, as you have called us to be temples of God, not just figuratively, but specifically, we are the dwelling place of God. I pray that we will understand, change our perspective on life. Lord, destroy the spirit of apathy. Destroy a spirit of comfort. Destroy a spirit of arrogance. Destroy a spirit of pride. Destroy a spirit that does not seek you in the morning. Destroy the distractions in our life. Lord, destroy us from the inside out that you may build us back up in Christ Jesus. And Father, today we beg you, we beg you that you will pour your spirit out and save one today. That you will transform someone's heart today. That we will be broken under the weight of our sin and we will cry out, Jesus, wash me. Wash us with your blood this morning, oh God. Wash us that way we may be whole. That way we may be your priests, your representatives, fulfilling your desire to extend your glory over the earth. Father, use us as you will. For your glory and namesake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.